How you doing everybody? Tim from Ski Rex Media. A little jazzed right now. A little jazzed right now for this introduction because I just finished, just finished my uh, interview with Dan Egan, the great Dan Egan, extreme skiing pioneer, businessman, New Englander. Awesome guy. What a great interview. And because of part of that interview, we talk about his tour dates. We get a bonus episode for September 1st. Yes, I'm sure. Let's see. You haven't seen the episode yet because it has been recorded. I've been getting ahead of myself. You know that. Um, I've already done recordings with John Hunt from Whaleback, Mike Rogie from Mountain Gazette, uh, Tom Thrash, um, another um, Northeast skier who's been up just about every place in New England you can ski. Just about. I got ahead of myself. And even at the um, closing of the Mike Rogie episode, I said, next week will be Dan Egan. That's still three weeks away. Um, that Rogie's episode comes out. So um, for my friends listening or watching, whether you check, whether you check out the uh, video version uh, or the audio-only version, um, I have to go re-record that as well and uh, get that done, which is fine. That won't be a problem um, because Dan Egan will not be the week after Mike Rogie. I'm not sure who will be actually at this time. So I should probably stop saying who's going to be next. In any case, for September 1st, you get a bonus episode. You get the Dan Egan episode. Earlier today, you had the Abe Maynard, ep Abe Maynard episode with the ski uh, system, talking about the ski system, um, his ski-based training system. And if you haven't checked that out yet, do it, please. I appreciate it. Um, also, while you're checking out that episode, make sure you follow or subscribe, depending on which platform you use. You're a subscriber on YouTube. If you use the video version, you might be a follower or a subscriber, depending on whether you listen on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, subscribe or follow, whichever word they use on their button. Um, make sure you also... Um, Follow and uh, follow on social media. Pardon my little um, tongue-tiedness there. Like I said, I'm jazzed. I just talked to the legend of ski legends, Dan Egan. Um, it's an awesome interview. I know you're going to enjoy it. So follow me on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the website. You can subscribe, skierexpedia.com. You bet you can do that, but this, the website's going to change soon. I'm redesigning it, so your subscribe might not work. I'll have to work on that. You know, I'm still working out some of the technical aspects as well. You know what I mean? Um, but um, subscribe everywhere you can. Rate it. You know, I, I've had a five-star rating, at least one on Apple Podcasts. If you wouldn't mind rating the podcast, leaving a comment or two, and criticism too. Don't be a dick, but if you think I'm doing something not so good, tell me how else am I going to learn, right? Right. So now that all that's done, and SkiRexMediaMerchShop.com and Patreon.com, uh, SkiRexMedia as well, if you want to check out throwing a little cash and making SkiRex an even more paying job, SkiRexMedia. In any case, fun stuff aside, all the shameless plugs aside, let's talk about today's interview today. I speak with Dan Egan, pioneering force in the extreme skiing uh, movement, been in so many Warren Miller films, produced his own films, is an athlete of many other sports has a whole other life and has lived in places other people wouldn't have lived. And it's all told in this book here, 30 years in a white haze by Dan Egan and also by Eric Wilbur. Shout out to him. Um, Dan Egan, autobiographical, a textbook, a history book, an inspiring book. 
It's a great book, and we talk about it next. Dan and I, we get into it New England style, kind of. We're both New Englanders, so it works, right? Right. Check out the interview with Dan Egan here, and I will see you at the end for the closing, and we'll do some more shameless plugs and whatnot, so stick around for that. I'll see you when it's over. Joining me today on the Ski Rex Media Podcast, probably the biggest legend of legends I've had so far, not to oversell the man, Mr. Dan Egan. How are you, sir? Good morning. How are we doing, Tim? What's happening? Excellent, man. You know what? I have to admit openly right now in front of everybody that if um, just bear with the fanboy and the nervousness stuff, like I said, probably the biggest legend of the legends that I've talked to yet. Um, and let's be honest, I haven't met a pro in person since the 90s. Um, to be honest, that last person was Kelly Clark from Mount Snow. So there you go. Yeah. Um, today, I think we're just going to start in. Um, Talking about the book, 30 Years in a White Haze, Dan Egan, Eric Wilbur. Um, awesome, dude. I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, it's so much more than an autobiography. It's a history book. It's a personal book. It's it. I mean, it wouldn't take much to have this written as a Hollywood script. Like, it wouldn't take much change. How much was how much of that was intentional? Well, I, you know, I had always wanted to tell the uh, deeper story than just a bunch of ski bump stories. And, uh, you know, the root of things are important to me where things come from and uh, tracing the uh, extreme skiing routes back to the hot dogging routes uh, is something I've always seen and and, and I've always believed in. Um, So it was more than that. Then the, the other aspects, you know, is family. Um, totally. you know, I'm from a really big family and, uh, the way my parents raised seven kids, uh, you know, they fostered confidence and independence. So I wanted to weave all that together because there's not a lot of reason why two kids from, you know, Boston grow up to ski around the world. So, you know, I wanted to kind of bring that to light. Yeah. And it, it was very interesting. Your family takes up a good chunk of the story like again it's it's not i mean it is autobiographical in a way but it's really there's so many people in it it's not just one story there's your brother john whom everybody knows who pays attention to the sport and then there's everybody else like i couldn't even try without better notes listing every member of your family that got mentioned dude how did they take it like have have your brothers and sisters nieces you know everybody um, have they read it or talked about it at all? Yeah, you know, that's really interesting. And, um, you know, just all the people that, you know, we we never do anything alone in life. And, sure. you know, that everything sort of unfolds, you know, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. And uh, all those characters played a role in our, our careers. Yeah, my family, you know, there's been uh, different uh, nieces and nephews have read the book. My niece over in... Uh, in Japan who lives there full time was excited to get it and she read it and uh and my siblings of course so you know it's just uh I think it's so super interesting it's also hits close to home it's a very personal book so I think there's a lot of emotion with it and uh I think that deepens over time and sort of reveals itself in different ways yeah absolutely like you can definitely feel it like this this is a book that has a lot of feeling to it. I feel oddly enough to say it that way, but it is a, you know, there's a lot of heart in the book. 
Um, you talk about other emotions like fear later on, and we'll come back to that. Um, now, having written it and asking if your family has read it, I know you have had to read it, but you wrote it. And Eric Wilbur wrote it, so you guys had to read it, reread it, editors, then rewrite, reread, whatever the process may be. Everybody's process is a little different. Have you read the final product? And, and what did you uh, what you think of it in the end? Well, Eric Wilbur is amazing. You know, he uh, he's really the magic sauce. And uh, I like to tell people I was born to ski, not spell. So, um, <laughs> you know, we, we found very few errors in the final product. Yeah, I've read mm -hmm. the final product. You know, I'm not you know, I've read it obviously before it went to print. But then sure. after uh, it came back and, you know, the first thing people notice about the book is they're like, you know, 400 pages, you, you know, and people will joke like, you didn't have much to say, you know, stuff like that. But, uh, but then, you know, almost weekly and sometimes daily, I get comments like, dude, I sat down and read your book in two days. Like, I haven't yep. read it in 30 years, you know. And um, and so the reaction is, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a quick read uh, and it's a compact read. Um, yes. And, you know, for me, it's just like when I watch the old Warren Miller films, you know, I. I I recall everything, you know, I recall being on the volcanoes in Chile I, and, 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 and in Turkey. I, I recall the people that were around us and the places we were. So when I read the final product, project, product, I, I was <laughs> like, oh, I forgot this story. And I wanted to tell this story. And Eric, every time we're doing a book signing, he'll go 400 pages, Dan. 400 <laughs> That's so awesome. So that's good. So, well, a couple things on that. Number one, um, that is one of the things I noticed is it's it's a big book. And I, like your example, ha haven't been reading many books. I find myself reading more short articles, things like this, you know, uh, one of the the, uh, the one of the things that suck about the Internet is now everything's gotten smaller. And I thought I could still read quickly. And I started this and I felt like I was reading it slowly. I felt like I was almost disrespecting it. But after a while, you get into some of it and all of a sudden it's it's done. You're like, wait, no, there's 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 gotta there's there's gotta be another story, one more story, whether it's a ski story, a sailing story, um, a media story, a family story, a Boston story. Um you want more. You definitely want more. And you brought up your co-author, Eric Wilbur, who I think in his acknowledgments at the end and his thank yous, man, he, I think one of the things he said, um, I don't remember the exact quote offhand, but he was talking about his wife and had a conversation with his wife. He said, I had to write this. Um, so I, I, I see, like you said, he did a great job. You said he was a big part of it. I, You can see it because he appeared excited. Was he as excited as he said he was? Yeah, you know, it uh, was really interesting project. Uh, I started writing 30 Years in a White Haze probably six, eight years ago. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I started writing it on the day that Warren Miller Entertainment took all of my territories in-house. Okay. Uh, they had a stuffed shirt from New York call Dan Egan to tell him they were taking my 21 shows in-house. And, uh, you know, and I just thought... This, this guy doesn't even know who he's calling, you know, like, mm -hmm. and, and I thought, you know, they'd long since done away with Warren and, and so many of my friends, there was, only, there was only a few of us left standing at the company mm -hmm. that knew Warren had worked with Warren. So I said to myself, what would Warren do? Yeah. I was, uh, I thought Warren would write a book. 
that's exactly what he would do. Wine, women, and Warren, and all lurching <laughs> from one disaster to another. And yeah. So I, I wrote, uh, I started writing White Haze. And um, in 2016, Eric Wilbur approached me mm -hmm. uh, about writing a book. And I said, oh, no, man, I, you know, I'm doing it. And mm -hmm. uh, about a year later, uh, I called him back. I said, no, you actually, I could use some help. And True. You know, that 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 beautiful thing is what he did was able to bring the, the whole arc together. Awesome. That's very awesome. I like I said, I enjoyed it as a New Englander myself. One of the things I took away from it immediately reading it is it's names and places that I know I have visited. Not all of them or not even all of them to ski like some of these mountains I've been to to hike or some other event, whatever it may be. Um but, you know, part of the cast of characters of the Deloriers from right up the road here at Bolton, you know, um, you and your brother, those two guys, probably the four biggest, two sets of brothers, the four biggest guys that come out of New England. It's a, It feels like a New Englander's book. Like, I don't know if that makes sense. Would you agree? Like, it felt like you were trying to keep it New England. It's kind of a dumb question, but maybe you follow it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm a New Englander and yeah. um, I've never wanted to live full time in the West. Uh, I've always come home to New England every after every ski season. Sure. And, you know, you see the references in there to the Boston Red Sox. And, yep. you know, at opening day, I wherever I was when opening day, I'm like, oh, well, I've got to get back. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a New Englander. And I, I what I love about New England and New Englanders is that we'll, we're not afraid to put our chin to the wind. You know, sure. we're, we're bold and mm -hmm. uh, we're rugged. Uh, and, most, you know, I've sat on chairlifts on sunny days in New England, rainy days in New England, snowy days in New England, and New Englanders ski. You know, mm -hmm. they're not complaining about the weather. Uh, and they almost get bond. That bond gets tighter the harder the weather is. And oh, yeah. That's what I love about it. You know, you go up to Bolton Valley, you know, you've got a bunch of people who are not afraid to ski, you know, yeah. in all conditions. They're not there because it's a perfect day. They're there because they love to ski. And oh, yeah. that is, to me, at the core, what a New Englander is. Absolutely. And and I agree, man. Rain, sleet, snow, as long as you don't slide off the road. And even then, I've heard of people who ditched their car and walked up. I was like, I was 20 feet from the parking lot. I'll get it at the end of the day. It's not going anywhere. Right. I'm like, right on, dude. And that's great. Like I said, I love New England. You have so many New England stories here. Um, and stuff that like we don't know, like your your tenure and time at Tenney Mountain over there. I had no idea that happened. I was out of the state. I was actually living in New Jersey at that time. I wasn't. You know, I was coming up to go to Mount Snow and Stratton because I still had friends who worked there from high school. You know, so at that time I wasn't exploring. You know, um, but like you said, you're a New Englander and you made that a New England mountain. How was that? Would you consider doing that again? Just, I know it's kind of slightly a left curve here or whatever, yeah, but you know, would you do it again? Thing, you know, being a general manager of a ski resort, I loved it because it was chaos. I sure. thrive on chaos. And, you know, running a ski resort is 24-7 game on. You know, uh, you're making snow, you're grooming snow, you're opening lifts, you're, you've got to sell tickets. It's, it's nonstop. And yeah. that really fed into my personality. I, I really loved it. Um, sure. So, you know, I've taken a couple other runs at it. One of the stories we didn't put in the book was I was a finalist to run uh, Rosa Hortor in Sochi during the Olympics. 
Okay. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, I, I love the way ski areas operate and it's a lot of fun. Ski area operation. I, I liked being in it myself. You know, I was back at Mount Snow at, with the American Skiing Company, and I, I've heard tell that Les Auten's out there in northern New Hampshire somewhere doing something. I don't know what he's doing, but I've heard. Um, and it'd be great to see him come back out again. That'd be awesome. I love the American Skiing Company, but it is a great industry that can be, like you said, full of chaos, man. And interestingly enough, and I'm trying not to get too deep too specific into the stories because I don't want people to have it ruined for them. Because like I said, it it reads like like an adventure novel in some ways and a history book in others, and I don't want to ruin any of that. Uh, but I remember in the Tenny Mountain story, you, I think you said something like, I can't quote it, but it was like, people were afraid to see you coming. <laughs> and I've had bosses like that. And I was like, dude, I don't have a problem with the guy. What's your issue? Like, why are you scared, man? And I, as, as in retail management, I was that guy for a little while. People like Tim's coming. Everybody duck. It's like, dude, I'm nice. You seem like a nice guy to me. I don't get it. How was that for you taking on? I mean, you explain it in the book, but you know, why not uh, say know, it now? Uh, my, you know, unfortunately, there's not a lot of uh, ski areas that are run like this anymore, where you know all the decisions come down to one person. You know, I've always sure. said that ski areas should not be a committee. You know, um, and and, you know, uh, our, my good friend, Jimmy Ackerson, uh, mm -hmm. who's run Portillo, he's run Valley Nevada, he's down there in further, further south now, uh, Caraca. Wow. Um, you know, when you go to a Jimmy Ackerson resort, what you hear around the resort is Jimmy said. Okay. Jimmy said. And if you know Jimmy and you're close to Jimmy and you say Jimmy said, they open the lift for you, you know. No. Um, and you know, that, that sort of credibility, that's how Tenny was. You know, we had uh, my good friend, Arturo Lyon was the ski school director from uh, South America. So a very elegant guy. Uh, we had Rich Saturday who had run ski areas and Rich was, you know, the man behind the curtain, keeping the lifts running. And, you know, I kind of saw my job as making sure people showed up and did what they <laughs> said they were going to do. And, uh, hey. You know, you at ski areas, sometimes they're not doing it. Um, it was also a very uh, sort of turmoil time in my life. So it was sure. a good place for me to kind of auger in and take some frustrations out. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And again, I get it. You're right. There's there's goofing off at these hills, which I didn't know until I started. I worked a, started working at a ski hill at 15. And I was like, there's a whole, there's a whole other world here. Um, but speaking of um, that, before we get too far um, into a lot of stories, but you said you were, you just mentioned how it was a pretty rough time in your life at that point. This book is super honest, like honest to a point where like you talk about during your extreme days, the party rock star party lifestyle, drugs, booze, whatever. Um, you talk about, you know, your past relationships, all this other stuff. You, the Mount Elber story, very, very honest. Like there's cuss words in those stories. Not that I mind. I don't care. I use them. But, you know, the, the, the point is, is that you were very honest. Obviously, then that was your point to be that honest. But how did you feel about being that honest? Like embarrassed, out of comfort zone, didn't care. It's just honesty to you. How did you feel about all that? Oh, it was uh, it was a hard process. It was an emotional process for me. You know, um, you know, I, you know, Eric, uh, Eric and I would write these chapters and we'd bounce them back and forth between each other. And he could kind of gauge how much time I was taking with the chapter by how it was affecting me. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the some of the things I hadn't dealt with in, in I hadn't really looked at in years, decades. Sure. Um, and so, you know, but I wanted all of it in the book because there's so just as so many people helped our career, so many people are involved and they needed to have their own voice in the book. So in order to do that, I had to be authentic. I had to lay it out there. So their voice could be equally as important. And um, so it was a little, you know, I was on the edge of uncomfortable for sure. Sure. Um, you know, uh, living like a rock star in your 20s, you know, and traveling around the world. That sounds like an amazing thing. But of course, it's it's difficult. You know, I used to live on the road for 10 months a year for almost 10 years. Um, sure. And that included living in vans, living in hotel rooms, crashing on people's couches um and two months you know crashing at my mom's attic um so you know all of that stuff sort of is a little unsettling um mm -hmm. and when i moved to new hampshire one one of the things i recognized was i was missing community um, sure i had a worldwide community but i really when the person behind the post office knew my name i was like wow that's that's freaky so uh so, yeah, <laughs> you know I, I wanted the book to have have a rawness to it. And I, I think we accomplished that. I, I absolutely agree. Um, you know, I know knowing who you are since I was, a you know, early teens, you know, that's when I really started getting into it. Um, you know, watching the Warren Miller films, you know, and that was in the early nineties. So watching the films, learning the names, um, some names I've forgotten. There were names in your book. I had to look up. I was like, wait, who was that? Like, I don't remember. Um, and that's just me getting older, but, um, you know, it, it was so honest about, like I said, like the party life, what it could be, what it is, what it leads to. And it, it, it's something some people will need to hear. I think some people will just like to hear it. And it's a side that you don't expect. Like you expect it from Hollywood movie stars. You expect it from rock stars, but here are these guys, these ski bums, these guys were getting paid to ski. What could their life possibly be? Well, there it is. There you go. Like that's, that's what it was. It's an amazing story. Also, it gets to the point of honesty. And again, trying not to get too deep into the stories. I don't want to ruin it, but your trip to the Middle East and Lebanon, that's very honest to say I snuck in <laughs> like, <laughs> like, isn't that jailable? Is there a statute of limitations on that? Is it, well, it was obviously worth the risk. It was uh, it was illegal at the time to for an American to go. There were still hostages when I snuck into totally. Beirut. Um, but the trip was endorsed by the United Nations. Uh, it was sponsored okay. by the American Arab League and mm -hmm. Middle Eastern Airlines. Um, but yeah, I couldn't let them stamp my passport. Yep. And so it was a little nerve wracking. And uh, we were joking at the time because I was running around D.C. trying to get approval and safety and all this sort of stuff that, you know, somewhere the CIA is going, what Warren Miller, who's that? What, you know, and uh, awesome. the, the American Arab league had arranged uh, for my passport not to be stamped. Yep. And so when I finally, and when I get on that plane, there's no direct flights to Beirut. There weren't at the time from the U S sure. So I had to go to London and they told me, you know, go to the Damascus gate, tell me going to Damascus and wink twice. And they'll put you on the Beirut flight. <laughs> and, you know, this stuff, you can't make it up. And uh, no. so it happened. But it's, once I was on that flight, 
people told me like you should get off this flight yeah uh, there were all the only americans on that flight were american women who had married lebanese um mm -hmm. they're like you're crazy i wouldn't let my brother come on this flight you know no nobody and uh so when they welcomed me at the airport in a cage, you know, you walk into that's that's immigration. Sure. Says, Mr. Egan, nice to see you. And he puts a piece of paper on this and he stamps it. So uh, there's more to that story. But um, but, you know, people forget about the first World Trade Center bombing in yeah. February of, uh, of 1993. And um, totally, you know, those names, those names are on the uh, are on the 9-11 memorial. Um Mm. which is really important that they are of course but that that absolutely that changed a lot and uh very few people wanted to go on my peace ski after after that <laughs> i can imagine a little little worried the it was country was a little wild then even i remember that i was 14 at the time and i was like a little i still remember it was a little strange um but that's i think it's hard to pick a favorite story out of this Especially for me, like I dig on the history part of it too. I'll take a history lesson any day of the week. Um, but I think that one is up there because, you know, I'm sitting there with the book in hand reading it like it's going to end. Well, we didn't get to go. And then it's like, all right, well, now they're not going to get to go. Well, now he's not go like, holy shit, he's there, dude. What the <laughs> holy smokes. Awesome. Great. <laughs> And but that's part of it. And again, that's part of that, not only that honesty, but that lifestyle that you led. One of the things, another trip of yours, the Berlin Wall trip. Now, that one I did remember. I remember the photos. Obviously, I didn't know the story, but I remember the photos. And that felt like you were telling that story as business as usual. But business as usual for you started, uh, I can't remember where it started, but then it was like an impromptu road trip to Berlin, which at that time was a little different than going there now. And then the right after that, you're heading to Zermatt for a pro photo shoot. Like business as usual is like left, right, straight. Like that was nuts. <laughs> well, it was nuts. We were in Val d'Isere and uh, we, were, we were living in a one bedroom uh, flat up, up the valley with uh you know tom day lizzie day and danny day at the time was three years old uh john and i and a bunch of other ski bums all piled into this thing and we couldn't afford to stay as the british school holidays were were coming they were going to kick us out sure so we and we knew we had to go somewhere so uh it's a great story how we ended up borrowing uh test driving this yeah. van uh that had no papers no insurance, no license plate, and uh, six oh. nationalities and a baby in it. Um, you know, and, we had, and let me tell you what, Berlin's not close to Val d'Isere, by the way. No. Uh, so, you know, what's super, you know, to put all that into perspective, the Cold War, you know, if you're a Cold War kid, you grew up with bomb shelters, do, hiding underneath the desk, you know, doing, you know, practicing so you're going to save yeah. yourself from nuclear war under the desk whatever <laughs> um so i was fascinated with the idea that uh the 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 block was coming down you know the iron curtain because sure you know that was a, that was just something you couldn't imagine and i tell people today you know that that's like me telling a kid today youtube's not going to be on youtube's going to go away sure no never you know and uh yeah. that's how it was with the with the iron curtain you know we had no idea that the Iron Curtain would ever come down. So, you know, from 89 really through 94, we ventured into that land as much as we could. It was fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. 
And of course, you know, being Boston, you know, we, we were okay with like greasing people, you know, like yeah. paying to get in, you know, that was something you did at nightclubs. That was something you did. So, you know, flipping an East German guard, a couple of Deutschmarks made total sense to me. Um, hey. I just didn't know he was going to call his buddies and they were going to pull us over every 10 miles for the same thing. Yeah. That's yeah. A, just a great story all around. Just a great story and a once in a lifetime story too. Like the wall was up and then it was down and you got to see the transition. Basically, nobody's going to see that again. Not, not any of us, not you, not me, not people behind me. It, it what a great world you live in. And again, to that business as usual, ideal something you said in the book about uh the quote i can't remember but it was about following cnn where they were going you were going nobody else was doing that yeah. you were practically a world you, you were a current events teacher almost in a way but you did it through how cool is the hill he's hitting right yeah <clears throat> you know, I just, you know, that was something with warren because warren you know, I understood that uh, attaching ourselves to something bigger than us was the way to go. And yeah. so, you know, connecting with Warren Miller films and, and that was bigger than us. But then once getting to know Warren and understanding his thing was like, what's bigger than him? Sure. And that was world events. So mm -hmm. when I told him, hey, Warren, I want to go wherever CNN is. I mean, he just was like, we're doing it. We're, there's no question. Like, where are you going? Where are you going next? And and that sort of idea. So, you know, and the fact that, you know, even today it's so relevant when you think about Afghanistan and all this sort of stuff, like totally what we did with the movies is we humanized the place. There yeah. were people living in these mountains. They were friendly. They wanted to meet Americans. They didn't hate Americans. They, they, they were curious about us. We were curious about them. Um, and one thing I tell people now is, you know, you couldn't do what we did because the world did not get become safer, which is so bizarre. Uh, you couldn't travel to ski with the Kurds on the border of Turkey anymore. You know, like mm -hmm. it's changed a lot. And um, that that's really odd, you know, um, that it didn't become a safer place. And then I always get a kick, you know, like, you know, everybody wants to think they're the first. I mean, of course, we weren't the first to ski in some of these countries. They're already skiing there. But sure. now when I see the, you know, sort of the new school film saying, Hey, we're the first to Romania or something. I want to send a return of the shred eye and uh, <laughs> update them, you know? Yeah. No, you weren't, kid. Hate to tell you. No disrespect to the young kids, though. Um, you know, they're doing their thing, but that's actually a good, uh, nice little segue to another part of the book I joined. Again, the history. I really enjoyed the history. And you talked about the extreme movement, how, you know, it, it not only the how it came to be in the u.s but the difference between the u.s and the europeans um you know and then what it has become um in particular i think you talked about the world the old world extreme skiing championships which many things have come out of that up to like even the free ride world tour today and how a lot of you what are called old school guys weren't on board necessarily like, I mean, Schmidt was there for the, for the, to, uh, to uh, judge for the first one, but he, he, even he said it was kind of reluctantly. Like, it, do you, I guess the question is, is how, and you do go into it in the book anyway, but it, it's like, how do you, 
How do you really feel? Not really feel, because that sounds like it's going to be a jerked off answer. But how, how do you really feel about the modern movement? How how it's changed? Or do you feel? Actually, the question is: Do you feel any of those kids disrespect you? Because I know you don't disrespect them. It's just different. It's a, it's another world, you know. It's um the the, the the in the book we talk about the parallels between uh, how events competitions change the face of sport. Sure. That's what happened to hot dogging. They mm. introduced rules when, when, how they got moguls all the way to the Olympics. You know, I always say the Olympics are really the sports in the Olympics are mutants to what mm-hmm. they originally really were. You know, sure. You and I had a pair of skates, and I years ago I said I'll race you around the lake, and then became speed skating. Right. So, yep. so this happened to mogul skiing. It happens to all the sports. Once you start judging something, it's just not free anymore. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and in the 80s and when they introduced the World Extreme Skiing Championships, it was an interesting time because you had a bunch of kids, Shane McConkie, of course, and Ken Kreitlin, all these guys on the bubble mm-hmm. waiting to break in from a different generation. And their way of doing that was to prove they were better than the old dogs. Sure. And you know, we had it all to play for. We had the sponsors. We had the movie contracts. We had all that. So, you know, I could throw down and I was willing to throw down. But when they invited Plake and, and Schmidt to judge it, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. if they throw down, I throw down. And, yep. uh, you know, you know, and, and, and what's cool about life is everything plays out. Right. Sure. So Doug Coombs winning that was probably mm-hmm. the best thing, one of the best things that ever happened to the ski industry because you've got the right guy in the right place doing the right thing. You've sure. got a hybrid. You've got a great skier, a nice guy, an adventurer, right? And he, yeah. he and and he was our generation. So, you know, that was kind of an amazing transition. And Doug being Doug, I think, eased in that transition. You know, sure. he did it on straight skis. You know, it wasn't long long after that that you know the skis got wider and things start to change so when kids ask me of course you know what was your big trick you know my answer is staying alive like (laughs) you know we skied in the snow we we were we were knee deep waist deep heading off those cliffs today they're up on the snow so we couldn't think about spinning backwards or landing backwards that was just something that wouldn't work so yeah it was a big change, but I, I, overall, I miss skiing. And, you know, that's why I'm a huge fan of Marcus Caston. Mm-hmm. You know, he's making turning cool again. And yep. um, I don't know why going straight is fun. I still don't get it. Like, I I just see people going straight, going by all the powder, going, you're missing it. You're missing it. And so as much as I give them cred for how fast they ski how big they ski the 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 tricks they throw uh you know it's lost on me straight line i I don't get it i i don't really either um i also in my travels and the people i talk to see a longing for your day yeah no disrespect intended to any generation oddly enough me and a lot of the people i obviously hang out with they're in between this new schooler generation of extreme guys. And I'm not, I, I stay in resorts. I'm not even that good of a skier. I just really like doing it and I have a great time doing it. But there's also your generation, which was one before me. I got the one in, I'm in the middle. People are more longing for your time. 
So I kind of see that. Like, I don't get the straight lining either. Like, people I talk to are like, I mean, I got, I have a few park kids that I hang out with. Okay. But, you know, a lot of the guys who are still, you know, are like, you know, I want to be like Egan. I want to be like Deloria. I want to be like Schmidt or Plake. If I'm going to go big, that's my big. Not big doing a triple backy with 540 thrown somewhere. Like, that's, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. But not their thing. But talking about the generations and the difference, since you are a media guy and you worked in those films, you can, we can all see the difference in the type, not just the type of skiers and snowboarders that are in them, but the difference in filmmaking. Do you see that difference as well as a professional? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, the films have changed a lot. You know, the, the athletes have come full circle. You know, sure. they, they're, they're fit. They're amazing, you know, uh, my nephews and their friends, you know, whether they're chasing the Eastern bump circuit or skiing the big lines, you know, they're outrageous. You know, when mm. I ski with that 20 something crowd, I, I'm in awe of how big and how fast they ski. Um, and then in the middle of it, of course, they'll throw a double backy mm -hmm. and it's like, holy Hannah. Right. So, yep. so it's super impressive. And, and, you know, but on the filmmaking side, you know, the reason why we're here, the reason why we wrote the book is stories. And yep. I've wondered why the stories have dissolved out of the movies, you know. Yes. Um, and and where's the art of storytelling? You know, I, I it's nothing new. I've said it to TGR, Matchstick, all of them, you know, poor boy. Look, you've got the best budget. You guys have the best athletes. You've got incredible technology and cameramen your edits lazy it's a lazy edit sure anybody can string together rushes that's not talent like tell me who these kids are where they are why they're doing it now of course that's some of my age i want to mm -hmm. know more i'm curious about who these characters are how did they get there that sort of thing um but it's not what's popular you know um and and if you draw that all the way back it was eric perlman and uh, the, the North Face Extreme skiing films that we mm -hmm. skied in, where he the music video genre started with skiing. Prior sure. to that, nobody was doing that. Warren wasn't doing it. Stump was doing it with great music, but Stump was a storyteller. Eric mm -hmm. Perlman, 22 minutes, no narration for the first film, 45 minutes for the Extreme Skiing 2, no narration, a little bit of narration, a sure. couple of ears comments. It was about great you know music not even great music music and action <laughs> and um so from that you saw you know it it grows um but you know to me you know the adventure of skiing you know why is skiing generational why do, why is it so you know passed on it's passed on because of stories and i want the younger ones to know and they want them to know and then your grandfather taught my grandfather taught me you know and there it goes right so mm -hmm. You go to Bolton Valley and it's generational. The Deloriers, you go to Sugarbush, there's generational ties at Sugarbush. Yeah, um, man. Generational ties with Boyne Mountain and Big Sky. You know, totally. And and that's what skiing's about, right? So, you know, we can't forget that. Um, and those generational ties is what's moved the ski industry forward for, for since the day it started.
Absolutely. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, 100%. I also agree about what you said, where'd the storytelling go? Um, you know, and that's not just in ski film, that's in film as a whole. Like, that's something I do outside of this is just study film, but it, it really has changed and has almost become saturated. It's, it's, it's part of the problem with digital distribution. You know, in the, one of the, some of the stories you talk about is how you secured distribution rights, what you did, get that stuff out there, the VHS boom super important that's a good story in here um now anybody can put up an edit like i can put up a skiing edit tomorrow i could make it tomorrow there's not a single flake on the ground i could still do it i can make it look great and like i said i don't ski very well at all i i'm not good um i just like to do it and i i feel like there's now a saturation to it that and i think that's part of what dissolved the storytelling and now it's just look another guy doing a backflip look another guy doing a front lip look somebody just made a, a 1440 or whatever they're up to now i don't know that's like some of this stuff these kids do now was only in video games when i was little i don't know how they're doing it, it shouldn't be possible sometimes i question whether or not red gerard is a real person um but um yeah and i agree with that uh, everything you said about it, it, it but I mean, it's still fun to watch. You know, I love the films from Eric Pollard and the Nimbus Independent crew. I, I love their stuff um, because it's about as close, I think, not to disrespect Level 1 or Matchstick or TGR or any of these other guys, but it, it's about as close to that storytelling feel, what they're doing, how they're doing it, where they're doing it. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it, it's a challenge everybody has today because of technology. Yes. There's so much technology. And so it's hard not to use the technology. It's hard not to color correct. It's hard not to make cooler graphics. And one of the sure. what's great about Matchstick is they bring a lot of them, you know, th you know, th theater into their openings, right? They yes. really put a lot of effort into it and it's very, very cool. And over the years, those have been amazing. What's amazing about, you know, TGR is just the amount of following they have and how important it is. And the names that come through there are legendary. Um, sure. And they're skiing legendary lines and doing legendary things. And they're letting their, the achievement stand for itself. So that's something, right? The fact yeah. that the line was skied, they showed the whole line, it stands for itself. We couldn't do that. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have drones. We didn't have heli budgets. You know, we were shooting cutaways. We were shooting the Warren Miller formula. So it was a totally, totally different thing. Um, and, you know, but if you look at storytelling and Cody Townsend, you know, you mm -hmm. see that, yes, that's still the magic sauce. What Cody's yep. doing is telling a story and he's telling it in a new way. He's sure. telling it raw. He's telling it in, in an episode with no, no set time, short, long, drudgery, suffering, success. And you yeah. see the popularity that has come into Cody's and what he's doing. To me, he's a genius. Like mm -hmm. he has taken everything that we're talked about and packaged it up for today. You know, uh, yeah. if you look at Chris Davenport, Chris Davenport yep. has done the same thing. You know, he's been able to weave a story into books and books about really famous places and things. Um, so it's not dead, but the challenge is how do you stand out? You know, the kids that dress sure. the same, jump the same, do the same tricks. If they're being judged, you know, they have mm -hmm. no choice. They have to do that. But if they're in the free skiing movement, you know, what I say to them is your challenge, my friend, is how are you going to stand out? Because you look a lot like the other guy, you know, um, yep. 
And, you know, for John and I, it was the brother thing. We could ski really close together. We could we could mirror each other. We looked uh, like, you know, it's pretty close to the same. You know, John's sure. skiing is very unique, very, very special. Uh, I joke about it now. Like I can mimic it for a little bit, but not constant, <laughs> you know. And uh, so you, you just need it, right? Because one of the things we talk about in the books is extreme skiing wasn't a sport. It was entertainment. Yeah. Um, so you have to understand what 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 genre are you in? Are you in the sport or are you in entertainment? Once we figured out okay. we're in entertainment, we started selling stuff. Yeah, and very well, I might add, to go to read the book and go through how you all made that transition from just being guys who are out there to putting it on film and selling it. That's I mean, this could be a almost a, a, an intro to business textbook. Like, it's very interesting for anybody who's been in, whether you're in media or even in retail, sales, whatever it would be. Like, there's something in here for you, too, even if you don't ski every day, you know. There's something in there for you, and it's 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 a very interesting thing. Um, well, that's in, uh, in Ski Bomb, you know, mm -hmm. the documentary we did on Warren Miller. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Johnny Mosley, he's talking about Warren and about how Warren – traveled you know to 100 cities in the fall and johnny says in the movie that's how you sell something one at a time yep you know um and that that was sort of warren's mantra you know warren would always say like he'd call me up in the middle of my tour he goes how's your tour going i mean mm -hmm. oh, you know warren had a bad night you know two people two mm -hmm. people he goes uh they buy you dinner i go actually yeah one did he goes you had a great night dude you know <laughs> and like you know love it you know, so perspective is everything, you know. Absolutely. Warren Miller, man, what a great guy. Like, such an interesting guy. Um, that film was actually very interesting as well. If you haven't seen that, check that out. Um, great guy, very interesting. Um, lot, you know, Warren Miller stories in here, too. Not as many as you'd think. That kind of surprised me because, not in a bad way, just he was, he was like the crown jewel of ski filmmaking forever. <laughs> like pretty much so you almost expect with this cast of characters he was going to be the one that came up the most aside from yourself and your brother obviously but he didn't and i think that's actually really kind of interesting because you did like you said earlier in this interview you spread it out everybody got their due and even you know i think even you'd admit some people might have missed a little bit of their due i think you said that in your acknowledgments there's just so many people if i missed anybody i'll see you on the next one man um but again, coming back to the book and what was in it, not just Warren Miller and talking about other stuff and stories we were talking about earlier, and I don't mean to wrap back around, I apologize for that, um, the emotion in it. Um, there is sadness, there is turmoil, there is anger. I talked to you here to see you as an angry person, being an angry person myself, I could never imagine it, and yet there's stories here where I thought someone, this story was going to end with someone losing a tooth, um, which is fine, these things happen. But well, the one I was most interested in was in fear and the perspective of fear. And not only did you talk about it, your brother talked about it. And there were two or three other people, as I can remember, who um, had um, that were interviewed for the book that said that talked about that. I fear everything. I'm afraid of everything. And I just face it. I just walk out and deal with it when I can. I kind of feel that is the way you were trying to. That's what you were trying to get across. Just look in the eye. But fear is good. It's not a negative. It can be a positive, something a lot of people don't realize, I think. Is that accurate? Did I get that right or yeah, close? Mean, uh, you know, Schmidt, of course, talks about fear in the book. Uh, Kristen Ulmer, 
uh, who's, you know, made a living uh, talking about fear, uh, Mm -hmm. conversation with fear. Um, You know, fear is something is natural. Yes. And, you know, I think when you look at people who are high achievers, uh, fear triggers something in them to a heightened awareness. Uh, Mm -hmm. They're more apt to enter into the flow state if they come in nervous. Uh, if they come in knowing it has to be perfect. Uh, I think we saw that in the Olympics with uh, say what you want, you know, so, so, with Biles. She, there was, she knew that doing what she had to do, it had to be perfect. Otherwise, somebody's going to get hurt, probably her. So she sure. stepped aside. So, you know, this idea that fear is sort of uh, something you use as a, a, a trigger for excellence. Um, you know, if, if I were going to jump off a cliff 12 stories high, yeah, uh, yeah, I'm scared, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to use that to focus. Not sure. And so there's rational and irrational fear, you know, and rational fear jumping off a 12 story building deserves a rational answer. Do it well. Irrational fear is I'm jumping off a building. I freaked out. I got hurt. Like that doesn't make sense. Why'd you jump? Right. Sure. Like, yeah. So <laughs> why do it? If you weren't going to do it perfect, why'd you do it? And yep. um, and so, of course, I mean, there's there's, you know, a factor of, of risk in there. But but that's the idea with fear. And I think what you see now, um, you know, you talked about it with the progression of tricks, mm-hmm. um, pushing the limits. The, 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 we're sort of bound by this idea of progression now. Something sure. has to change. It has to evolve. And that's where we see a lot of injuries um, is in the quote unquote progression in the new school extreme world. So that's something uh, I think that needs to be looked at, not tempered, but studied. I I agree with that. Um, Progression is a word you hear so much now and not just in this sport, in almost anywhere, especially action sports, as we call them, um, which are now Olympic sports at some, in some times, skateboarding, surfing, all these other things. Um, But yeah, the progression, I think people, I understand the want and the need to push. Um, I don't always understand just because you can, should you? Like I asked the question, you know, yeah, I sure you could push it, but then why is there a reason? And you know, what is it and why? Um, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe progression is the way. What do I know? You know, I'm, I'm in my early forties. I'm slowing down, you know, let the younger kids do what they want. I don't care. Um, but fear something big for me when I got back out, this was my first season back on skis in six years. And my first day out was down at big snow, actually down in New Jersey, the indoor place. And I got off the lift and I looked down. I was like, this place is cool and all, but I'm terrified. And this is a run 20 years ago. I could have done blindfolded. Blindfolded. Not that I would, but I could. Um, Just terrified. But I did it and immediately it was gone. So do it right. Don't do it. I don't know. Dan probably knows better because he's been around and done things I haven't done. So um, speaking of which, all the things you've done. I don't know if I'd ask you to pick a favorite because how could you? Um, but if you could do it over and over again, say, which would you do? Would you go? I mean, you talk about how you spend winters, you know, at, at near as the book's coming to a close, as the third act is closing, because this really does read in a three act format. It's amazing. I, I, I realized it near the end. I was like, holy smokes, this is this real? But you know, it's real. 
um, near the end, you said you were, you know, starting to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Starting to simplify things, I think is an accurate word. So you were just going to France, but not Val d'Isor, but up to, um, or was that where you were going? Yeah, Tell the story. You know what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, uh, you know, go, go fewer places and stay longer. And, yeah. Uh, and to, you know, I, we were at the height of the extreme team advanced ski clinics. We were doing 13 to 15 locations around the world. Uh, and really Dean Dekas and I were carrying the bulk of that and it was exhausting. Sure. Um, and you know, my, uh, you would hire me to do a lot of things, but not logistics. And, uh, <laughs> so going, uh, from France all the way to Alaska, you know, to heli ski just didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I could sure. never seem to coordinate it. So I, and you know, I was interviewing, uh, Glenn Plake for my podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, about three, two to three years after his accident, uh, where his tent mate died. Sure. And he told me, you know, he got tired of going to Chamonix. He wanted to start coming from. Okay. And I thought, you know, <laughs> that, that was so profound and simple that I did that too. You know, I wanted to stop yeah. going to big sky. I wanted to start coming from big sky. Yep. And I, and I, and my attitude about Europe was the same. So, you know, if we all hold out, this year I'll be in Europe six times over six weeks and, and, uh, and nice. spend the, the rest of the time in, in beautiful Montana at big sky and pop, pop in here to the East when need be. So, you know, I think this idea, of course, you know, with age, of course, hopefully comes some sort of learning or wisdom or perspective. <laughs> uh, and of course we get a little more tired, but uh, you know, the one thing, if you've been part of the skiing tribe, uh, you 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 realize that it's a worldwide community, um, sure, and it's so nice to plug into that community, um, and particularly in Europe because in Europe uh, the profession of a ski guide or a ski teacher is noble. Uh, it's been yeah. going on for centuries. Uh, mm-hmm. Here it's sort of slagged off. You know, oh, you're you're a slacker. You're doing this. They don't see it as you're taking people on the adventure of their lifetime. So for me to touch base with Europe is to regenerate. It, 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 it vitalizes me because I'm around my working peers and the profession that I've chosen for the you know my entire adult life, which is awesome and that's great and it's awesome to hear that you're still going back out. Which we know things getting out of your own country right now is still a pain in the backside, um, but clearing up slowly, not not as quick as I'm sure some of us would like, but it's it's getting there. Um, interestingly enough, like you said, that that's a in Europe, the ski instructor is a, you know, a, a, a pedestal profession there. Not so much here. Um, maybe for a little while in the 80s, like the fictional films, I think, tried to either put the instructor on a pedestal or like uh, like an Aspen Extreme or made him a jerk off like in uh, a Ski Patrol, you know, whatever. Um, do you see, and actually, you know what? I can expand this question for someone who has all the stories in the world. Um, who's as famous, you know, as you are, um, you know, I don't see you as arrogant. And it, that comes from the idea of, you know, I knew a bunch of ski instructors in my day and a lot of them held to that stereotype, that, that, that negative fictional film stereotype, the arrogant, I'm making a thousand for a private. It's like, dude, I don't care what you're doing. Just do you want your coffee or not? Like whatever, you know, but you aren't like that. Do you see people like that? Have any of your peers gotten like that? And then has it 
you know, cut ties because of it. I don't know. Well, you know, the, the one thing between the, uh, the Johnny come lately's and the wannabes to the professionals career professionals is that we understand one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, the mountain is bigger and stronger than we are. Sure. Um, and so, you know, when you've been in, into the throes of, of it, when you've lost your friends to mm -hmm. avalanches, when you've, you know, when you've lived it, uh, humbling is something you need to su survive, you know, sure. uh, cockiness, you know, nature has a way of dealing with. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and that also comes from, you know, how we were raised, John and I were raised too by our folks. And, uh, so, you know, but I would say, you know, of course there's, you know, stereotypes and, and this sort of thing. And look for some being a, a a ski instructor, perfect, making a living at it. It's quite an accomplishment. It's huge. You know, uh, sure. if you're going to go through all the certifications, you have to achieve a lot. Uh, yeah, totally. And, you know, you know, in this country, you know, uh, you know, the Aspen, the Yellowstone club, you make it there to teach, man, you, you've hit it. You're, you're on top. You have the best clientele in the world. Uh, totally. And trust me, there's plenty of cocky uh, Europeans uh, as well. So, but it's a mix, right? And and I think yeah. it's for, but when you really talk to people who are traveling, who are living outside sort of the boundaries of the resort, uh, there's there's more bond in surviving. There's more bond in, hey, what are you doing today for tomorrow uh, than there is what did you do yesterday? And um, sure, I, to me, that's that's really what it's about. That's very interesting. It is interesting. And you see, again, that's something you see in the book. That's that's how these stories come off. It's not, dude, I'm Dan Egan. I can ski anything, ski anything in the world. And my brother can ski anything in the world. And we were all the greatest in history. It's like, it doesn't come off like that. It's just like, we were here to do what we wanted to do. And this is what it became. Again, don't want to ruin anything, but it, it's a great set of stories. And like you said, you've bonded. You, you, you guys bond through this stuff, living and surviving. Yes, surviving some of this stuff. Um, not just on the mountain, but the, some of the hardship that came off. Um, do you, are you still close with any of these guys? Schmidt, Plake, do you just talk once in a while? Are you guys actually friends? Like, not every famous person knows every other famous person. Um, but do are you still you know, these guys 30 years later? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, there's, there's a bond, uh, between the, you know, what I would say with the tribe, which is real. Um, and we're happy, you know, uh, in future retro last year's Warren Miller, you know, they put yep. us, they dusted off the old dogs, Tommy day <laughs> and Scott and John and myself, and they put us with, you know, Jack and Marie lovely, you know, young rippers who, who, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, Costin, uh, Parkin, Parkin, who, you know, I'm standing on top of the little at Big Sky, you know, and I said to Parkin, I, hey, dude, do the math. I'm three times your age. Uh, <laughs> I go first, you know, and because uh, I knew once he straight lined it, it was going to be over for me. And uh, I was nervous. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I, you know, but are we all friends? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The, the guys, McConkie, Kreitler, that gang, uh, Gaffney, that they, they all traveled as a herd. They, that, that generation saw themselves together. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the boomers and the, the Xers, we, we're lone wolves. And sure. so 
we saw each other as competition. Um, so we weren't filming together. We were film our segments and the producer put them in the movie, but it wasn't like we were all traveling together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the exception to that was the extreme team, you know, Eric Rob Delorier, Dean Dicus, Johnny and myself, Adam Delorier, uh, Matty Moo, you know, the whole gang. We were like a rock band. We were all best friends that, that had lived in vans and we went to these resorts and we taught these clinics and we filmed them and all this sort of thing. But as we grew up and got families and lives and jobs, we were like the rock band that flew in alone, stayed mm-hmm. in separate rooms, put on the best show on the planet, and then went our separate ways. Totally. Uh, and that's a factor of growing up, you know. So uh, people's lives are busy. Um, you know, it's hard to get on a chairlift with my brother, uh, yeah. busy guy. Um, you know, during the Hall of Fame induction, we got two chairlift rides together at Stowe, uh, which sure. was really my goal. You know, I wanted to sit on a lift with my brother again, uh, yeah, be with John. Uh, been, you know, it's nearly impossible. We we get off a lift and people show up and yep. we want to talk and uh, we want to ski. You know, and mm-hmm. John's a little bit better at me than you know at that. He he will he'll just go. Um, yep. You know, during our camp, <laughs> love it. Uh, I said, John, where's your group? He goes, dude, I wait at the top. I don't wait at the yep. bottom. <laughs> and, uh, yep. I love it. I love that. You know, there's a bit of attitude. We love it. Yep. That's awesome, man. It's it really is. It's. I don't know if it was an intentional way you presented it, but it's a very intriguing, very tempting life. Like there's. Young kids, I know my like my friends' kids who are now in their mid teens, late teens, early twenties. They would if I gave this to them and said, "Read it." I, I don't care if you know who the guy is; just read it and know that it's all one hundred percent fact. They would say at the end of it, "That's what I want to do." Maybe not the business part of it, maybe not the end, but all the young person stuff, the vans, the impromptu, the basing where I'm going to be on the start of the baseball season. You know, they would love it. But would you suggest it to a young person to do it? Or would you you give them some wisdom about it? Like, sure, you're young, go for it. But remember this, would you do that? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, if you look at the Olympics, you look at the X Games, uh, the age is getting younger. Yep. If you look at Kai Peterson, youngest mm-hmm. Red Bull athlete. Um, so one, you have to think about the length of a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, you have to think about uh, how the development of people. Um, and, you know, we tell the story time and time again in the book. Uh, John made me go back to college uh, mm-hmm. more than anybody else in my family, my parents and my other siblings. It was John that said, get your butt back to, well, you know, school and finish college. Um, and, you know, in the end, I, I do think that was a difference maker. Um, mm. You know, being able to negotiate the rights to the films we skied in, being able to create a distribution company. You know, you, some people look at the careers and they think, oh, I, I'm going to be a skier, right? Yeah. You know, you, you, somebody might, I would look and say, no, you're an entertainer. Uh, and then I would say, you know, like a musician, how are you managing your asset? What is your asset? What do you own? What what are you giving away? Um, what do you, what, you know, so if, you know, these days when you look at the followers and the likes, that's an asset, right? 
Yep. Uh, and that's something that that has value and it's a commodity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they manage that well and they know how to do that, then there's a career. But yep. if it's if you don't know how to do that, you might know how to create it, but not sustain it. Uh, sure. We could go on and on and on about people uh, that unfortunately did, didn't manage that well. So um, it's it's a it's a you know my thing you know stay in school, kid. Uh, you know my thing to parents uh, is have an idea of what a realistic gold medal is. Is mm-hmm. that a scholarship to school? Is that uh, you know what's that look like? You know, um, is the U.S. team the goal, or do you want to ski in college and get a degree? Like, what's sure. the goal? And the other thing that uh, it's different that never existed when we were doing it is it's too late to get the sponsor after you've won. You need the foundation in place before the victory. You need the sponsors, the contracts and everything, because that's the mechanism to make the money. If you go after it after you win, the sponsors are like, well, are you going to win again? Because it's really hard to win again. And, you know, we see that time and time again. That's why Michaela Schifrin is so special, you know, uh, and just a piece on her, you know, it's like the mainstream media still has not picked up on how special she is. Um, you know, her track record in slalom skiing is the equivalent of Tom Brady throwing a touchdown every oh God, time yes. he touches the ball. Yeah, not absolutely. Not a first down, but a touchdown. Her yeah. winning percentage in slalom is like almost 98%, yeah. 95-plus percent. And, you know, we still want to talk about tennis players and all this other stuff and, and gymnasts. Forget it. Schifrin's the real deal. Um, and she's a once in a lifetime, once in a generation. Um, Absolutely she is. So, you know, so, you know, I, I always have to say and put it in perspective, even for myself. Like, you know, we had a – John and I, we were brothers. We loved each other. We, we traveled around the world, man. It was amazing, you know. Uh, hey. But it's about the people and and, and uh, the emotion you you ignite in others. I think that really counts. Absolutely, and you know it's awesome that you say it that way um, because these are you know I don't know these things like you do. You live the life, so your wisdom is legit. Mine is just thinking I know what I'm talking about. But I've known young kids in skiing and snowboarding who said I'm going to make it. I'm like, well, are you going to make it? You know, obviously kids from New England can make it, you know, no problem. But I've known kids in BMX. I've known kids in skateboarding and they're great at what they do, but there is a piece missing. And I think it's all what everything you just said. That's the part that's missing to talk about Michaela Schifrin, who should be America's sweetheart (laughs) for athletics. Like the woman is nearly unbeatable. Um, I've seen her ski in person at the World Cup in Killington. It's like nothing I've ever seen. Um, I'm like this kid. It's the true definition of the difference between know-how and talent. If someone asked me how she does it, I can kind of give you my insight, but she's just born to do it. But around the time her father died, she took the time off. She took off like the rest of the season and still came in second overall. She didn't race. Like that's how much she already had won. She took the rest of the came in second um, overall. Um, she ended up accruing a lot of haters out there 
Do you deal with that? How do you deal with that stuff for you? How do you think others should deal with it? Because there are people like, oh, her career's over. She sucks now. It's like, dude, I dare you to go challenge her. Like, what, what are you going to do? Like, she was dealing with stuff. Let her deal with her stuff so she can come back and whip everybody's tail again. So the hater stuff, how do you deal with that? Or do you even acknowledge it? Just give them the finger and send them on their way. Well, with Schifrin, I mean, uh, she's had such success at a young age. You know, she's maturing. Yeah. So I think what we're going to see moving forward is a mature Michaela and a, a young woman uh, who's probably going to do it more on her own terms. Um, sure. And still people won't beat her. Um, yep. You know, in the media, of course, we want to say she's going to win so many medals in China this year and that sort of thing. And, you know, it's hard to do. Uh, it's hard, yeah. It was hard for Bodie to do. It was hard for very few can do. Um, mm -hmm. And it takes a lot of things to go right. Um you know, the, the haters, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> there's been, uh, there's Dan Egan haters out there. There's no doubt. Uh, and, oh. and, you know, th those sort of things, it's like, you know, look, man, I, this is my life and mm -hmm. uh, it's personal to me. Uh, sure. I've worked hard to do it. Uh, and one thing that really sign of age is, you know, it takes a while to toughen up to the internet, you know, like, uh, you know, it's easy to poke fun. It's easy to say this, easy to say that. Um, but uh, to me, it's real. I, I battle every day uh, to make it make it happen. Uh, you know, if you're going to make a living on Solomon's soup, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you need to be creative and on your feet. And, you know, living without a net is not easy. Um, you know, and I talk about that a lot. If you're going to go out on the high beam without a net, uh, you you know, I'm a, in in Europe as a guide. We are our own rescue. There's nobody yeah. coming to get you, mm -hmm. uh, and that's how I see life. There's nobody like this. Is a, this is on me. Mm -hmm. So you want to take a shot at me? Try and do what I do. Like it's not easy. And yeah. uh, you know, I always joke with uh, you know clients or this and that. One day I'm going to retire and do what you do, and I just silently shake my head and go, I don't know if like. What, because now you have money? Like, like yep. it's not easy, mate. It's not easy. Yeah, and, and it's not, um, you know, and, and we know that. And again, you that you see that in the book, 30 Years in a White Haze. You, you tell that story, too. Um, not so much so specific to the haters, but it's your life to do with as you choose. And sometimes it's not easy, and sometimes it's wicked easy, and sometimes it's too easy. And I've seen that in my own life. Um, but... It's a great book, man. Again, it goes through all the stories. And before I forget, because I keep forgetting and I keep noticing it's not in my notes, um, you're going to be touring Vermont with it, correct? Like, yeah. am I wrong about that? Yeah, I did. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So before I forget, because I want to make sure there's people showing up, like people who listen to me and watch me, I want to make sure they're showing up there because I have an autograph and they might want one too. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that tour. What are you doing? When, if you have the dates, if you're not ready to give the dates, that's cool too. You know, just a overall overview, whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, on uh, September 9th, uh, I'm going to be a guest uh, with the Ski Vermont Museum. Uh, that's cool. online. Uh, you can check it out. It's uh, at 6.45 on the 9th. That's a uh, Thursday night. Um, okay. On the 16th of uh, September, I'm over in North Conway at uh, the Birch Book uh, store, and we're doing, uh, with the, we're doing a big promotion there. Um, 
And so that's that's going to be a great night. You know, of course, North Conway is a great ski town. Oh, totally. Uh, on the 18th, I'm over in Stowe at uh, Bear Pond Books, um, which is awesome. Uh, we're going to try and uh, shoehorn in um, the Vermont North Ski Shop somewhere in there. That's not been released. Okay. Uh, October 2nd, I'm in Middlebury uh, doing a book signing over there in Middlebury. Um, and then in mid to late September, I'm in Colorado. So I'll be in Evergreen. Uh, I'll be at the Copper Mountain Film Festival showing Ski Bum and signing books there. Oh, wow. Um, I think we're somewhere in Frisco as well. Nice. Um, then, of course, you know, later, if all goes well, uh, we'll be over in London. The book's doing really well in London. Uh, nice. A lot of Brits over the years. So we'll be up there at the National uh, Snow Show. Uh, we're touring around Manchester and London uh, with Ellis Brigham's, the big ski shop. Um, uh, November, I'm at the uh, Denver Ski Show, Snowbound. Uh, nice. Uh, back into the east for uh, the Country Ski and Sports Snow Show over uh, Veterans Day in uh, southern uh, Boston, South Shore. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have the, the big Boston Ski Show where really it all started for John and I the weekend before the holiday. Nice. Um, and then over, you know, World Cup weekend, you said it, I'll be there at Killington. Uh, we're doing an event there uh, uh, right on site at the base of the World Cup. You can come to the Elps and Meters booth and uh, get a book uh, and talk skiing. Uh, nice. So then. Uh, That's then awesome. Eventually I'm going to start skiing and uh, head over to Zermont right after that. Nice. So that's a big tour that's like huge which means i need to get this out this week um which is fine i've told people it's going to be out later in september no this will be out tomorrow guaranteed um but uh that's awesome so fanboys and fangirls want to see danny you want to meet him um look ahead of time though because every venue i'm sure has something a little different with its covid protection um i don't know like for a while, I know there were some live events that weren't allowing pictures, things like this, uh, things to prepare for. So I don't know, and I don't know if you know offhand what they are or if they're going to matter. Like, I don't know. Um, so check first. Like me, I'm going to check first because I think what I'm going to do, if there's pictures available, I'm going to go fanboy it up, get a picture with Dan on one day, and then during the World Cup, I'm going to get that signed to go with this and just be a disgusting fanboy nerd friggin whatever uh, but be safe about it that's a huge tour like when uh when i was contacted about doing this interview i sammy just said vermont so i was like all right cool i didn't realize it was going to be all over the place including the snow show down in boston which i went to the year before the pandemic which is awesome good fun um i had never been before um and it's great snowbound do, running it now. And I guess it is going to be live and in person this year then, huh? They're still going for it. And of course, you know, people don't cool. realize Boston ski show is one of the biggest shows in the country. Uh, oh yeah. 40,000 people plus. And uh, you know, it's a great event and you know, that really shows itself as a new England event. Uh, yeah. People, people still love trail maps. They still love stickers. They still want to talk face to face to the resorts and the manufacturers and, uh, they want to hear the stories. You know, what I love about all that is um, you see families and you see the wide eyes. We're going to go to Sugarloaf this year. We're going to go to, you know, up to Jay Peak. 
and the the the, the, the enthusiasm for these places that that's really what's very very cool about it and uh you know it all comes to life at the boston ski show back in the day when bernie whitesell gave us our own theater uh, mm-hmm. you know we'd have a, a curtained off area and we'd be up there telling our stories and selling our day glow t-shirts and videos awesome. and it was just so fun and you know that down home feel of it all is what i love absolutely dude i agree i i was i got down there um on a whim actually i wasn't gonna go i hadn't gone and i got um contacted by one of the people who was um uh had a had a setup there a display her turn at the she she shed coming out of sunday river and boston and uh she said oh you want to come down i was like all right, the heck with it. I'll come down. It's a bus ride. No worries, you know, because let's be honest. I know you're a Boston guy, so maybe you can have some insight on this. The traffic, even after they built those tunnels, is it's not the worst in the country, but take the bus in. Trust me, it's easier. But to that story of taking the bus in, I did get turned around and lost walking over to the show from South Street Station. And the the community-driven part of it, the skiers, the popularity of it, I happened to just look around. I was about to ask someone for directions. I saw some kid with a Black Crow's backpack, the ski manufacturer, not the band. I was like, I know where he's going. And you get there, and it's just people who love it, people who are doing it. Like you said, everybody's in it for the story. It's very personable. Like you're walking around there, it almost feels like an Opry parking lot here in New England. There's people standing around, plastic beer cup, you know, and talking. I met jumping Steve Long from Peace and Pow there. I talked to someone from Jay Peak there. And we were just rapping about a storm that happened like two days prior. Wonderful event. And if they're doing it live, and Dan Egan's going to be there, so it's more than worth it to go. Um, check it out, man. It's awesome. And Boston's an awesome city anyway. I love that city. Um, so definitely check that out. And It's at, it's at the Prudential Center this year. So it's at the okay. Heinz Auditorium. Uh, so a little more central right there in Copley. Um, it's going to be a little more intimate. It's a smaller venue. Uh, and uh, what the Snowbound team is doing is they're bringing music. Uh, they're making a real festival. So you've, yeah. you, know, it's used, you probably sort of thing where you want to go every day. You know, it's going to be that sort of thing. It, it really does. I like, I, I mean, I had a blast and I only went for one of the three days and I was like, man, it, it, it would be worth it just to get a hotel room down here and just walk over every day. Awesome show. Good time. A lot of fun. Um, definitely something worth it. And, you know, it is also mountains selling their wares. So it's every mountain in the Northeast, several from out West, a few from Europe were there the year I was there. I couldn't believe that. I think even one of the Aussie mountains showed up. Um, one of the ones on the Epic pass, probably, you know, I probably Vale just drag everybody up, which is fine. You know, do what you got to do. Great fun. Awesome time. Um, and all these other events again, which, where are the events on your website on a different website? Yeah, they can. Uh, you can either go to white-haze.com or dan-egan.com. Uh, the, all the book signing tours, uh, uh, dates, and everything's right there on the web. Uh, and, of course, Facebook, uh, 30 Years in a White Haze uh, on Facebook. It'll all be posted there. There's Inventbrite, uh, that. So we're pretty, pretty on it there. So, yeah, definitely check it out online at Facebook for sure. Absolutely. And like I said, be safe. Check everybody's specifics because one place might require masks. One place might not. One place might, you know, Dan might be allowing pictures close up at one place and six feet at another. So check and make sure. Don't don't mess around. Um, There is something speaking of locals here. I got a message right before you called 
right before someone has said you, cause I put it out there on my social media, like Dan Egan, anybody want to ask him a question? Here's your chance. I did get one hook. I hooked one person, which is awesome. This was Brian Burr. He sent this over on Instagram. He's actually the fire chief down there in Claremont. So if you know Claremont at all, where that is, um, it's right up the road from me. I'm up in White River Junction, so I'm near there. Um, he said, um, if you could point out one thing in your life as a, as a professional that could um, convey your life or what it is to be a professional to some young aspiring kid, what would it be? Like the advice, the story, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, just uh, be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. There you go. Um, you know, uh, that's the sign of a pro. Um, you know, it's not a, based on your emotions. It's not based on how many people are there for you. Uh, somebody, if I tell somebody I'm going to be there, I'll be there. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rain, shine, what, whatever it is. So I think uh, the follow through on that one simple thing is so important. You know, like the old adage, showing up is 50% of the game, you know. Um, yeah, man. And, you know, don't believe what's in your head. Um you know, it's never as good or as bad as you think. So, uh, you know, just uh, show up, uh, boot up and uh, see how it goes. You know, that that's where the magic is. And, um, you know, these book signings, you know, we have all different amounts of people come. Some some 10 people stroll in. Some we have 40, 50 people stroll in. But every person matters to me. So nice. I just enjoy uh, the smaller ones because I have more time with them and and uh, if somebody makes the effort to come out to see me and meet me and buy the book, they didn't do it online, they did it in person, you know, that's super, that means something to me. I appreciate that. And, uh, and so I think just that sort of attitude about caring about everybody that comes out, you know, um, you know, that, uh, Peyton Manning uh, recently got into the Hall of Fame, you know, the sure. Hall of Fame, and he's talked in his speech about how right after his career, he wrote thank you notes to everybody. Uh, and I was like, wow, that that's amazing, you know, to take the yeah. time to be that successful, that wealthy. And, uh, you know, I just had uh, lunch with my uh, my high school soccer coach. Um, nice. You know, like I appreciate people and uh, take the time to appreciate people. Absolutely. I love that. I try to do that. And I'm a little media guy. I'm a little guy, but I love the people who love what I do. Yeah. You know, it's like, thanks, you know, some confirmation I could do, but you know, just the book itself, Brian, to add on to what Dan said, just put it in a kid's hand. It's inspiring on every level. If you want to be a pro skier, if you just want to be an athlete, Dan talks about not just skiing in this book. He was a soccer player and a decent one sailor and a decent one knows what he's talking about a true athlete um are you doing that this summer are you out on the boat this summer or are you just hanging out in new england you know it's all on on uh, lightning fleet 332 on squam lake the season championships coming down to this sunday so nice. the, the finale on labor day uh, we've got four boats all vying for the season championship and uh nice. you know, i love that as much as skiing uh, is important to me. Sailing connects me to my youth in a completely different way. Uh, my, the hit memories of my dad and, and I sailing and, and my oldest brother, Bobby. And, you know, I, that brings me back. I, I love this thing about doing sports that do them as an adult, doing your youth sports as an adult, as an adult, not as a child uh, sure. with an adult perspective. So it's fun to want to win. Uh, and it's okay when you don't now.
So. That's awesome. Yeah. See, that's that's more the brilliance of the book, you know. And I I know it might seem like I'm overhyping it. I don't mean to sound like I'm overhyping it. I just really enjoyed it. And the, again, the different aspects because you get into a story. There's a ski story. Then the next chapter is a sailing story, and you don't forget who Dan Egan is. But it's like the he he has a real life, you know, like he's a real person with a real life. Cause there's so many. And again, to go back to the question of arrogance that I said, and it also runs with tryhards and posers or whatever term you want to use. Some people convey skiing. That's it. That's my life. If it is great, but not all those guys really are that. And the, but they do tend to look down upon some of us other guys who are like, nah, dude, in the summer, I'm playing basketball. I'm throwing a Frisbee. I'm writing. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an auto mechanic. I'm, I'm, you know, skiing is what I love. It's what I do. But there's more to me than that. And there's more to you. That's part of the brilliance of this book, I think. Yeah. Um, and you did a great job conveying that. And I think that is a very important thing to, you know, it's very important for people to read. Speaking of which, the book again, book brings us to now. And like we said, you're still, still on the water, still on the mountain. We're at 30 years are you going to go for 40? Is there going to be a sequel in 10 years or is there going to be a sequel another 30 years when you're over a hundred and, you know, writing of, you know, doing things that no other hundred year old did. What do you think? Well, you know, there's, uh, you know, the 30 years in a white haze ties back to the Mount Elvis expedition where I was lost for 38 hours and over totally people died. And I'd always never, you know, the problem I'd always have with survival stories is the accident usually came at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. For me, it was the beginning of my story. So I wanted to tell it from, you know, from a perspective of 30 years ago and how that shaped my life. Uh, the next project Eric and I are working on, it's called Dying to Ski. And okay. uh, it's about all uh, the loss of the big mountain generation. You know, it's, uh, it starts with uh, Paul Ruff and it, it follows all the deaths from Coombs to McConkie uh, to Trevor Peterson. Okay. Uh and on and on and on. Wow. So we've got 30 pros that were chronicling their lives and their their loss told through their loved ones. And it, it, it brings up what we were talking about earlier in the podcast, the, the notion that uh, sport was designed to enhance our life, not end it. True. Uh, and so the project really takes a look at progression. Was it worth it? Uh, is dying doing what you love a good death? You know? Yeah. And, People, people struggle with that question. You know, the, I had one uh, wife, a uh, widow, uh, gave me the best answer to that question you could ever imagine. You know, he loved me more. And, okay. Uh, and I love that, you know. And uh, yeah. ever since I've heard that, you know, I tell my loved ones, if something happens to me over in Europe, just know that I was at work. I, I, I didn't die doing what I loved. I, I love you more. And I mm -hmm. died at work. And uh you know, we don't take the time to put that into perspective. Uh, and it, all of these things that we've been talking about, younger athletes and careers and, and progression are all going to come together in uh, dying to ski. Uh, we're going to take a look at post-traumatic syndrome. Uh, we're going to take a look at sort of uh, the Red Bull generation. Um, okay. And so what, what you see, and we ended the book and we mentioned Paul Ruff. Uh, in his tragic death in, in Kirkwood when he tried to jump 135 feet. Uh, yeah. And we did that as a, as a launching place for dying to ski because when Paul passed, um, 
there was this much written about it in Ski Magazine. We barely got a note. Um, yeah, totally. And we, if you magnify that to the Glenn Plake accident in Nepal when the avalanche took out his tent and his tent mate was never found, that was on CNN. So yeah. how do you go from, you know, 135 foot drop to somebody loses their lives were barely mentioned to CNN? Well, that's the birth of an industry. Um, and, yep. and what you see is from 1989, really up until today, you see the rate of death include, in, in, increasing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and with the rate of death increasing, you're seeing the, the media coverage increasing. Sure. So, so it's an important project. Uh, we're excited about it. We've got a big team on it, actually. Um, so that, that will be our sequel to, to uh, 30 Years in a White Haze, um, is telling other people's stories, the importance of those stories and the decisions they made. Awesome. That sounds like a great project. Uh, very interesting. A lot of stories there. Again, you're right. There, It was at a certain time period, you didn't hear about it. Now you do. Um, almost kind of like a great memorial to those guys too guys and gals who didn't who didn't make it you know it's very sad you know i know a lot of people try to get um kind of cold heart about it cold hearted about it because you know well it's what they do i'm like yeah but nobody goes out you know nobody thinks I guess at a professional level, and I guess you could speak to this because I have talked to other big mountain people who say, you know, I know I could die on any given day, um, but you don't want to necessarily. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, uh, so the, we talk about this. Uh, there's a video that came out through TGR with me uh, called Flow. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, the beauty of youth is not knowing, right? Mm -hmm. um, sure. You're not aware of what the consequence actually would be. And, of course, there's a lot of research that shows us that our frontal lobe doesn't recognize that either uh, sure. until we're older. Um, so, you know, although it's true, the risk is there. And, and you know, I did it and I, I, I've seen others do it. We talk about risk management and all this sort of nonsense, you know. Sure. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blink of an eye, the wrong thing. And, um, sure. So, you know, the idea is how many times you're going to do it. You know, what's, yeah. what's the rate of, that you're willing to do it um, and what's important about that. And I think that there's so many examples that we can learn from, um, you know, whether it's Shane or others. My favorite line in the McConkie movie is uh, his good friend, Scott Gaffney, saying Shane would be really pissed off to know he died. Um, yep. And <laughs> I remember it, that. That was a great line. A beautiful line. And, and it's a very insightful line. And it's it's a truth. Um, so, you know, we miss these people. Uh, we would be remiss not to learn from that uh, and not to to have others be aware of that. Um, I think there's a responsibility for those of us who have survived uh, to to put that into some sort of perspective. Um, and yeah, I think it's important. That is that is great. And that was a great guy with Gaffney because you do chuckle at it. Because it seems kind of chuckleable, you know, and Shane was the was a clown, yeah. you know, so you could chuckle at things like that a little bit as long as it's not disrespectful. But to see a project like that coming out in regards to respect of these folks, that's that's interesting and unique. I don't think that's been done before. Right. Like you're the first. Yeah, I mean, I think what's super important about that is that in Cli Snow and Rock magazine, climbing magazines, there's always oh. been an obituary. Um, oh. So, you know, it's 
but in in the ski world we've never had an obituary in powder magazine ski magazine ski ski magazine so you know there was something that uh we sort of never really spoke about it happened and then as we got into hero worship uh the only way to make the cover of the magazine was to pass on you know it's like yeah like why aren't they writing about the living why why are they just talking about the ones that messed up like so you know there's a transition there and, and it's really uh, an industry maturing and an industry trying to deal with the risks that we've created through the hype and 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 the media uh and the sponsors uh um, sure so there, it's a big discussion we we're not saying uh skiing's risky we're not saying don't do these things uh we're saying let's take a look at it um and what, what can yeah. we learn from it but more importantly as you say uh how do we memorialize these lives um you know, so we're going to have a living memorial online as a sort of portal. That's uh, cool. People can find about the different foundations and their names um, and really put put some, you know, some teeth to it. So it helps out uh, the legacy of, of these skiers that we all love. That's awesome. Um, when when can we expect that, do you think? Uh, well, we're at we're on it now. Um, I've just re-released my first book, uh, All Terrain Skiing. So All, okay. all, Terrain, all Terrain Skiing Volume 2 will be out this fall. Uh, Mastering awesome. the Skiing Mind, which will be another instructional book, will probably hit early winter. And wow. so uh, Dying to Ski, you know, we're going to take our time with it. But my guess is 23, 24. Cool. Very good. So all kinds of stuff to look forward to from Dan Egan. You could be, you could have your reading list full for the next three years. Awesome, dude. I love it. And a good place to start out, like he said, there's been books prior to this. This is now one of my favorites that I've ever read ever. Um, and I'm like a science fiction junkie. So I've read a lot of that stuff. But if you like an adventure story, 30 years in a white haze, you like a biography, 30 years in a white haze. You need a business manual, 30 years in a white haze. You need a history book. He, you know, in this, he talks about Boston prior to him, his grandparents. Awesome. It, it, it's just a great book all around. Pick it up. Um, available everywhere you can get books or just Amazon or, everywhere. you know, check your local bookstore everywhere. Yeah, cool. Everywhere. So, yeah, Barnes and Nobles, uh, anywhere. Support your local bookstore, of course uh it's on the shelves uh it's in ski shops uh there you so, go yeah i appreciate excellent it. that's so awesome yeah man thanks dan this was awesome this was a great talk man i'm, I'm sitting here just listening like i just want to listen i could listen all day and like i said i've read it and i didn't want to get too specific on some things because as you said the mount elber story is kind of like the key and you kind of, again, I don't think it ruins it to say it leads to that and then it leads away from that. It's, again, the three-act the three act narrative. It's, it's, it's truly, again, you wouldn't have to do, you pull out those first five pages that say, that explain why it was written in the third person. You get rid of that, just hand it to somebody, they'll just read it as a story and then say, by the way, that's all legit. It's an adventure story, but the man's an adventurous man, it would so seem. Thank you, Dan. I can't plug it enough. I think it's awesome. Like he said, there's stuff coming out over the next couple of years. There's all the dates. Check the dates again. The few in Vermont, 18th, October 2nd. I'm going to be at least one of them. The the race over at Killington, which is in person this year. Again, be safe. I don't know yet what the um, requirements are going to be. I don't think anybody does. Well, they know, but I don't know if they've put it out there yet because we still have to wait till November. Um, but 
It should be a big year for ladies GS and slalom. It should be a lot of fun. And it is fun. If you've never done it, Dan, you've been to these events. I've been to this one. It's, it's a lot of fun to see ski racing in person. It's, it's a lot different than watching it on TV, but every sport is like that. Well, you know, one thing about the World Cup in Killington is that uh, you get to see the most gates. Uh, one mm. is three. And two, I've been to Olympics. I've been to World Championships. I've been to the World Cup. Uh, you're seeing three quarters of the course on Superstar. Uh, that's that's a rare experience. Uh, it's one of the best venues to view a race. Uh, and of course, Michaela Schifrin's there. It's historic. Um, yeah. And to watch her shift gears and and to throw it down on that final run. And you you want to see the last fifteen of the slalom and the last fifteen of the GS because every run gets better, every run gets faster, and it's a jaw drop. You can't believe it that yeah. she was faster than that. The next one's faster than that. You're like, and it's like, it's just building to this crescendo where you're like, that was unbelievable. And you said it, and, I, and I've said it. If you want to see skiing in a perfect form, you know, go to Killington because you just cannot believe those last 15 of both days. You're like, my goodness, that is powerful. That is skiing. Uh, they're just throwing it down. It's an icy slope. It's a challenging slope. It's got rolls in it. Uh, the girls love it. Um, it's they definitely do. by far one of the best sporting events I've ever been to. Yeah, it is great. Like I've, I've seen pro basketball. I've seen a few other things. I've seen collegiate basketball. I've seen some other things, man, but for true excitement, just to be there and just watch them zip by. And you got to think they're not doing like five miles an hour kids. They're hauling ass. Pardon my language. Like it is something to watch and to watch the skill and the talent, like I said, I've seen Schifrin ski in person now, and it's just, it's perfect. It is perfect. It's awesome. So be there to, for the race. Be there for Dan. Be there for me, too. Um, you know, I'll say hi to you, too. It's fine, you know. Um, but thank you, Dan. This was awesome. Have a good time out there. He's still in New England. He's still a New Englander. I'm not going to tell you where, though. None of you weirdos go out there. That's not cool. Uh, thank you again, man, my fellow New Englander. This was awesome. The book is awesome. I can't wait to these events. Like I said, I'm going to be in at least one, and I'm definitely going to be at the race this year, um, provided there's enough room for everybody. Um, it was awesome, dude. Thank you. I am I am so appreciative that you did this for me. Uh, thanks so much, Tim. A lot, a lot of luck, and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And there you go, everybody. The interview with the great and very friendly and personable Dan Egan. 30 Years in a White Haze, great book. And as we said in the interview, there's more projects coming from him. The man is nonstop. He's a good guy. Um, thank you for listening or watching, uh, or watching, hashtag watching, if you do both. I really do appreciate it. Again, uh, follow, subscribe, rate, share with your friends. Um, also, be on the lookout. I was looking for volunteers for a live stream for the Wednesday before Thanksgiving for you Americans. Our, you know, Thanksgiving is the last Thursday in November. On Wednesday night, I want to do a live stream and talk about, well, the industry. Um, and working in the industry on the holidays. It's going to be a Thanksgiving holiday slash holiday special if I can get the volunteers and if people want to do it and if people want to see it. Um, that'll be coming, obviously, at the end of November, um, and I'll be doing that, and that'll be the last thing I do for that weekend because that's also race weekend over at Killington. Dan, uh, Egan, and I will both be up at uh, Killington uh, for that race. So check that out. Say hello. Um, I'll probably try and wear gear 
um, centering around it. So you know it's Tim from Ski Rex Media, but that's not always easy because last year I needed all my actual ski gear because it was cold and I don't have in the merch shop yet actual ski jackets and ski pants um, with that are uh, Ski Rex Media branded. So keep an eye out. I'll let you know. I'll be posted from the race all day. Um, either Gia, I have been to GS Day both time I've gone, not Slalom Day, but I will eventually, uh, this year I'm hoping to do GS and Slalom Day. It's only 35 miles from me. It's not that big of a deal. In any case, thank you once again to Dan Egan. Again, check out his websites. He gave you all a list. I'll also put them in the description. Um, where you can find the dates and for each of the events where you can get a book signed, you can buy a book, get a book signed, meet Dan, talk skiing, talk shop, talk industry, whatever it is. Um, check that out and then check out, be very specific to see what their COVID regulations are. Some may require masks, some may not. Dan might be able to take pictures. He may not. Um, it, it'll all, you know, you'll be able to find all that information and know before you go. That way it's easier on you. It's easier on them. It's just easier on everybody. Right? Right. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. I will not say who's going to be on next week because I obviously don't know how to schedule very well. So next week, join me on the podcast. There may be another interview or there may only be a commentary video. Plus there's going to be behind the paywall Patreon commentary videos coming. Just specific things I'm going to talk about. I'm going to put it up for the Patreon fans and you'll be able to check that out, which is also getting redesigned as well. Right? Right. All right. I think I've uh, talked enough. Um, now, that the show is over for the day. So I will see you on the next one. Have a good day, good night, good evening, good afternoon. Whenever you're listening or watching this, I will see you on the next one. And I'll see you out there this winter. Um, I'll be at Indy Pass Mountains and at Whaleback. So there you go. Have a good one, everybody. I'll see you on the next one. I hope you enjoyed it. Laters. <laughs>